we kick off Passion Week. As we look at the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry and what that means for us. The fact that Jesus came to earth to die on our behalf. Um, this week, we look at the, the culmination, a concerted focus, not only on the weight and, and the penalty of our sin, but the depth of God's love for us. We see that throughout this week. And so I really want to encourage you to, to be part in uh, the Good Friday service happening here. Also Easter um, next weekend because we have uh, a mighty Savior who has conquered for all of eternity and won the victory on our behalf. And the fact that he is still calling sinners to himself that can receive that hope as well is, is totally exhilarating when you think about it. That regardless uh, of the deepest sin, regardless of the biggest struggle, that God's grace reaches still even there. That there is hope for your friends, hope for uh, your neighbors. So I want to encourage you uh, to take part in that as well as to invite friends and, and neighbors to that as well. This morning as we look at Palm Sunday, it, it is the reminder that this is the, the final journey for Jesus as he is preparing for the cross. Uh, the reminder that Jesus came to die and, and many of his followers, in fact, none of his disciples really got it. None of them really understood that, even though Jesus had been preparing them all along that he had come, that he was going to be delivered up, that he was going to suffer, that he was going to die, and that he was going to rise again. Now, one of his disciples didn't like that plan. Uh, Peter uh, was the one who, when Jesus told him what was going to happen, Peter said, no, that's, that's not going to happen. Now, whether or not Peter just thought, Jesus, you're too good for that, or Jesus, we are your followers and we got your back, whatever it was, Peter did not like God's plan. He did not like what Jesus was saying. Now, can you imagine not liking God's plan? Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? Can you imagine there being this part where you feel like your way is better than God's way? That from your perspective, things just don't make sense and you don't like it. Can you imagine complaining to God? The reality is all of us have been there, right? We, we've all said, you know what, from where I'm sitting, this doesn't make sense. And, and God, if, if I was you, this is what I was do. What, what I would do, and, and so th this whole ordeal doesn't make any sense to us. We might wonder why God does things the way that he does. And so here's Peter in that same boat saying, Jesus, I don't like this plan, and, and this is not going to happen to you. I mean, apart from us, here's Peter saying that to Jesus' face, and it earns a rebuke from Jesus himself. And that he tells Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He says that in Matthew chapter 16. And so uh, for us as well, our aim should be the concerns of God and not merely the concerns of life, the concerns of other people. And so here's Jesus now in this approach to Jerusalem, knowing that the cross is in store. 
knowing that his rejection is in store, knowing that his abandonment by all of his followers is in store, knowing that great suffering is in store, knowing that he was about to experience the wrath of God on behalf of our sin is in store for him, and he sets his focus on Jerusalem. The fact that this approach to Jerusalem is following through with God's plan to reconcile sinners to himself, sinners like you and sinners like me. The fact that this was why he had come, that he had spent the three years of his earthly ministry teaching and pointing to the heart of God and and doing these mighty miracles and and reaching out to those that um, were forgotten in society or shunned in society and showing the heart of God for people. And now it's all coming down to this final week, the fact that Jesus did not come to preserve his life or to live a long life, but to give his life away, to give his life as a ransom for many. And so this morning we are going to look at uh, the Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry account happening in Luke chapter 19. I want to encourage you to turn there with me this morning or to open up in your device and follow along. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning, for the opportunity that we have to gather together as family. And God, to reflect on what you have done for us, to to worship you for who you are. And this morning, as we open up your word, God, I pray that you'd help us to understand. Not only to understand, but God, give us clarity of thought this morning. Help us not to be distracted. Help us to hear what you have to say to us, and God, may our lives live differently in response to what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, there are three aspects this morning throughout this passage that we are going to highlight, and and my prayer this morning is that as we look through this this morning, that it is going to bolster our confidence in God as well as our response to who he is. 
so that it would bolster our confidence in God and at the same time that our response to him would be of one of surrender and worship. In this passage, three things that we're going to look at. First of all, in the big picture, we see in this event that God's plan is fulfilled. That God's plan is fulfilled. That everything that God chooses to do is going to happen. I mean, if, if that does not bring us confidence, I don't know what will. That everything that God plans to do will come to fruition. There is nothing that happens in life that is going to derail God's plan. Even when things get really crazy. When it seems like life is spinning out of control. I mean, you think of someone whose life um, has seemingly spun out of control. I think of a guy named Job who had a really bad day. A really bad day where he lost everything, all of his earthly possessions. He, he lost all of his kids. All of a sudden, he, he lost his health. He, the only family member that survived was his wife who just tells him just to curse God and die. So not really a big encouragement there. But here in Job 42... He says this, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of God, no plan of God can be thwarted. And within this account, we see the fulfillment of God's plan, God's sovereignty. Now, I, I don't know how many of you are Marvel fans. Anyone Marvel fans? You've been keeping up on the superhero movies. Okay, so everyone else that didn't just raise your hand, you're going to have to like... Um, forgive the nerding out right now, okay, but, but just kind of follow along. So for the last 10 years, there's been these superhero movies all culminating into last year's Infinity War, okay? In Infinity War, you have this big baddie named Thanos, who his desire is to destroy half of the universe. And so for the last 10 years, all these superheroes now culminating into one movie in which one of the superheroes has this ability to see into time. And so looking at the upcoming battle between the superheroes and Thanos, he does this thing where he's looking at all of the possibilities that could happen between this battle between Thanos, the bad dude, and the superheroes who we're all rooting for. And this is what he comes up with. He checks out 14,605 possible outcomes of the conflict. Now, of all of those possibilities, all of those outcomes, the only one in which the heroes actually win is one. And that's not even guaranteed. It's just what he's observed, a possible outcome. Now, I, I just want to make a distinction between that because sometimes that's how we think of God, that God just sees the possibilities, but he's just observing. Like, God is just, he's just got like, it's almost like he's got all the channels to, to all the cable or all the dish. He, he can see everything out there, but he doesn't actually influence or impact anything. See, we're not to think of God as we think of Dr. Strange, just somebody that has a lot of abilities to see possibilities, but where God is actually proactively moving things according to his purpose. You see, 
Palm Sunday and ultimately Good Friday and Easter were not reactionary things. These were part of God's plan all along. It's not that God was behind the eight ball of, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? This was God's plan from the very beginning. And so God is not simply reactive, he is proactive. He is not simply doing things based on what we choose and responding to it. God's plan works through everything. He is sovereign, meaning that he is in control of all things at all times. You see, throughout the Bible, we, we, we get a grand history of what life is all about. In the Old Testament, um, we see God revealing himself to us, and, and we understand why the world is broken. Uh, it's because we rejected God. We, we disobeyed him, and despite um, all the things that God had done, people continually rebelled against him. That's why we suffer. That's why there is hurt. That's why there is brokenness. That, that's why every morning you turn on the news or every evening you watch the news and you get frustrated. You can't believe it. the news today of what just happened. But brokenness is in response of rejecting God. People always blowing it. And the Old Testament highlights why we need a Savior. So the Old Testament is looking forward to this Messiah who in Isaiah 9, 6 talks about him, that he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. See, this is the king that the Jews are looking for. This, this mighty coming king. They were looking forward to this ruler who would take them out from under the heavy hand of Rome, who would put Israel back on the map, who would be glorious, who would be mighty, who would be commanding. They were looking forward to this ruler of might and grandeur. And here comes Jesus into Jerusalem, into the king's King David's um, royal city. And even as he approaches into this week, we see that he is in control. Because in verse 30, here he says, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. So, so the fact that Jesus even had foresight of knowing what was out there and telling his disciples, go on ahead and, and get this colt. Okay, so Jesus' request here is not all, of the, all that unusual. In, in that day, um, rabbis could ask for um, someone's property for personal use or dignitaries could use... Um, use other things, other people's um, property for personal use. Um, just like in our country, there, there may be times where um, people in law enforcement would say, hey, I, I'm, I'm an officer, I need to use your vehicle. There are some states where if you do not allow that officer to use your vehicle, you can be fined for that. So there is even some reflection of that in, in our society. I mean, imagine if someone walks up to you and just says, hey, can I borrow your car? Can I have the keys to your car? Um, why? Well, the Lord needs it. What would your response be? Yeah, right. Get out of here, dude. 
But whatever it is, here, here is the response. So they ask these disciples why, and they respond, the Lord needs it, and they, they, hand, over, they hand over the colt. Now, in, in case any of you are wondering, well, did Jesus, like, steal it then? Is he just, like, taking it? Um, one of the other Gospels, um, Mark mentions that they give it back. So, so no worries. No worries there. Jesus just used it for a time. It's not that he just stole it. Mark mentions uh, that he gave it back. But even within this little detail, why this detail is so important is because it points back to the Old Testament of what was coming to fruition here in this moment. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here, Jesus is coming in to fulfill God's plans, to fulfill this prophecy that was given in the book of Zechariah and, and to show here he is, this righteous and victorious king. But his approach is still contrary to their expectations. You see, they expected a lot of pomp and circumstance. I mean, if there was a mighty king coming in as the conquering king, you would expect there to be some kind of parade. You wouldn't expect him to be on some uh, meager little colt, but some mighty steed. You, you would expect this king to be a picture of nobility and might. See, the expectations that people had on the Messiah was that um, he would be this one that would take over. Yet Jesus came into the city with no soldiers. Um, Jesus did not come into the city with some mighty horse. Jesus did not come in um, with some hostile shift of power. There was no parade. Jesus rather humbly approached and prophecy was fulfilled and God was glorified. You see, the victory that, that Jesus was winning would not come through his might, through some hostile takeover, but rather through his humility. It would not come through just some physical defeat of enemies, but through his own suffering and death on our behalf, that his kingdom would be established through his death. So in verse 36, we see as Jesus is making his uh, approach, the people spread their cloaks along the road. This is uh, similar to what happened in Second Kings when King Jehu was appointed the king uh, of Israel, and people um, go ahead of him and lay their coats on the ground as a sign of respect. Now, um, I, I have never seen this happen in my lifetime. I just remember growing up as a kid and seeing cartoons or old TV shows where there might be um, people walking down the sidewalk and there would be a puddle, and, and there would be a man that would take off his sport coat or something and put it in the, in the puddle, and then the woman would walk across uh, on the coat so that she herself would not have to step foot into the puddle. I don't know. Has anyone ever seen that before apart from something on TV or cartoons? I've never seen it. But here, this act is really happening where as a sign of, uh, of, of honor where they are presenting before the king where he doesn't even, they don't even want him on, on the ground. He is royalty. And so here they are honoring him, and yet... Jesus not meeting the expectations. 
And, and I wonder what happens in our lives when Jesus does not meet our expectations. It, it brings into mind questions that, that we might have as far as really is it about Jesus honoring me or is it about me honoring Jesus? Am I here to fulfill and to bring honor to God or is, does God exist for my purpose? The fact that within this account, we see that everything is working ultimately according to God's plan. That God's plan is being fulfilled, and our rightful response is to humbly respond to that in a heart of worship. Secondly, throughout this passage, we see that Christ's heart is for people. See, as Jesus um, is approaching Jerusalem, we understand that Jesus reign is not going to happen because he takes on it's not established because of a popular vote it's not because he has the majority of people agreeing with him rather his kingdom is going to be established through his rejection you see he observes the celebratory mood and yet jesus knows what is to come he knows that he is going to face rejection. He knows that he is going to suffer. And still, his response is not one simply out of robotic obedience. It's not simply out of some, um, some sense of duty, but out of love that Jesus responds. And we see in verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. See, we may not think of a weeping Jesus very often. I, I can think of um, two accounts where we see specifically Jesus weeping. The one where he is at the gravesite of his friend Lazarus, who has died, where it's one of the easiest verses for all of us to memorize, Jesus wept. Uh, so we see him weeping in response to the curse of sin that leads to death, and seeing him weeping even though he knows that he is about to raise Lazarus back to life. So there is one account. The other account um, we see here as we see this blindness of sin that leads to the rejection of what people truly need. So here is Jesus. Sometimes we might think, can Jesus really understand me? Can Jesus really understand my heart? Can Jesus really understand my suffering, my hurt, my tears? In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it, it talks about the Messiah. It talks about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering. Some translations state that as a man of sorrow and familiar with pain. Like one whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. You see, Jesus knows suffering. Jesus knows pain. Jesus knows rejection. Jesus weeps. Because what is being offered to people, and he knows they're going to reject it, and he knows the, the upcoming destruction of Jerusalem that's going to happen in A.D. 70, which is what he refers to in verses 43 and 44. And he weeps as a result because he knows what the future holds, that the rejection of Jesus leads to eternal despair. But 
the receiving of Jesus leads to eternal life. That's what John 3.16 tells us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, Jesus' heart is for people that they would understand why he came, that they would receive him and receive hope and forgiveness of sin, receive eternal life with him. And the fact that people are blinded to that and are rejecting him causes him to weep, not because he's saying, oh, poor old me, but because of people missing out on the blindness of what is right in front of them, and yet they are rejecting it. See, and I wonder for you this morning, have you received this king? Have you put your trust in him? Have, have you responded to him where you say, you know what, I, I admit I'm a sinner, I blow it. But that, that's, that's part of it. That's, that's only one part. All of us can say, man, okay, I don't do everything right. But before a holy God, that demands justice. There's a penalty for that. And the penalty for sin is death. Separation from God. But that's why Jesus came. He came to suffer the consequence on our behalf, to pay the penalty on our behalf. So that when we put our trust in him, in dying for our sin and rising again, that we can be forgiven by God, that we can enjoy God forever. And I wonder this morning if there is somebody here that has just up until this point been putting it off, thinking, you know what, I'm just trying really hard. I don't really need to do that. I'm just, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Jesus weeps over the blindness like that. See, ultimately, we see through this passage, one thing that is absolutely certain, and our third point, that God will be glorified. You see, we see the, the varied responses to Jesus, that there are those that Jesus didn't meet their expectations. He wasn't quite the, the look, quite the flavor that they were looking for. They wanted somebody else. We see that there are those that rejected him, and, and there are those that rejoiced in his coming. See, God is not dependent on the majority in order to achieve the desired outcome. Look at verse 37. It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace and heaven and glory in the highest. Now, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You see, the, the proclamation that happened at the beginning of Jesus' life is somewhat similar to the proclamation here at the end of his life. At the beginning of his life, you have the angels appearing to shepherds out in a field and proclaiming glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now here at the end of his life, you have the proclamation, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. True joy is found in receiving this savior who has come and receiving this king. But there were those along the way that were rejecting. These religious leaders that, that are on their Twitter accounts and on their social media and putting hashtag not my savior, Hashtag, not my Messiah. Hashtag, I don't think so. Hashtag, I'm not buying it. 
But what about you? See, the fact is, the glory of God is unstoppable. It, it will not be constrained. In fact, as Jesus knows that he is going towards his death, and he is receiving this praise from people, and there's even those that weren't his disciples that are joining in in the crowd, and we're going to see some of those very people that were proclaiming, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord later on in the week are going to be the very ones yelling, crucify him. So Jesus isn't all caught up simply in the moment, but... He is not going to rebuke what they are saying that is absolutely true. And that's why when these religious leaders tell him, Jesus, tell your followers to shut up. And he says, you know what? Even if they are silent, the very rocks will cry out. I, I want you to think just about that, just a moment, okay? So... I just grabbed, real quick, some stones, okay? Now, in this bag, you might see stones. Right here, according to this, this is a potential choir. Potential choir. So we're going to have, who knows, maybe, maybe this one would be an alto, soprano, tenor, bass. But you know what? That's never going to happen. God is not dependent on us for his glory. But you can be sure for the rest of eternity, he will be glorified one way or another through his justice, through his grace, through his power. These rocks will not cry out, but God is not dependent on us. I mean, think about it. If God made man out of the dust, is it so ridiculous to think that all of a sudden a mouth could open up on a rock and a rock would start singing? I don't know about you, but I like to think I'm smarter than a rock. I don't know how many of you had a pet rock as kids where it's like, oh, here's, have fun with that. What are you going to do with that? It's a rock. And Jesus says, yeah, that very rock, though, that you think is nothing, that very stone, as you're doing your landscaping once the snow is all gone once again, as you're doing your landscaping, as you think about those stones around your house, think about this. You know what? Not today, stone. I'm, I'm worshiping God today. You're not, you're not going to steal my thunder you see, the fact is, God invites us to be part of who he is and what he is doing in the world, in the universe, for all eternity, where our response to be able to bring him glory, the fact that here is the king who has come to earth to die on our behalf, who has now set his focus to the cross and isn't looking back, who now this final trip as he is going into Jerusalem knowing that he is going to suffer, that he is going to die, that he is going to pay the penalty for our sin. If you want to know that God loves you, look to the cross. I want to encourage you, come Good Friday service. Be reminded of God's love for you, how deeply he loves you. Our response to him today should be that as we proclaim who he is, that he is our king, that he is our king, that we have put our trust in him and respond accordingly. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you this morning for your immense love for us that we cannot totally fathom. God, you love us so much. 
that you sent your only son to die on our behalf. God, we praise you for that. We do not deserve that. But God, we praise you for your grace. And God, I pray that we would understand more and more what a mighty God, what a mighty king you are. That our heart's cry would be one of worship where we would proclaim, God, you are my king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.